just I have been meditating on the word lately about um, you know how much people are going through now. There's just a lot um, coming out of this pandemic, and you know just being on the earth, living. You're going to go through some things. The Bible says in this world, and we'll read it in a minute, you will have tribulation. So I have been meditating on some things about this, and I want to share with you uh, what to do after a disaster. What to do after a disaster. So sometimes, um, you know, we we hear uh, people say, well, you know, I came through it pretty well, or I you know, went through something and came out the other side. And did pretty well. And then sometimes people say, well, I'm, I'll never get over it. I'll never get over what happened. Uh, and then others, you think, wow, I can't even believe they've ever been through anything. They seem to just flourish after a, a disaster or something happens in their lives. So I want to look at these scriptures and kind of encourage you tonight. Maybe you're going through something. Uh, I mean, I'm very sure the Spirit of God had me teach this tonight. So it might mean that some of you or going through something, or that you've just been through something uh, pretty disastrous, and um, hopefully this will help you. So let's look at Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start reading with verse 14. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad, and he said, talking about Jesus and his disciples and all that, he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. And others said that that is Elias, and others said that is a prophet, uh, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John who I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. Sounds like some guilt, right? (laughs) He had there. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison For Herodias' sake, his brother's Philip's wife, Herodias was Philip's wife, who was Herod's brother. For he had married her. So he had taken his brother's wife. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him, against John, and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in, and danced and pleased Herod, and them uh, that sat with him. The king said unto him, the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou shalt uh, wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me uh, by and by in a charger, or kind of on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. And the king 
was exceeding sorry yet for his own oath's sake and for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel and the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest for a while. For they were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people said, uh, saw them in departing, and many knew him and ran after thither out, uh, out of the, all the cities and outwent them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out and saw much people, he was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And then we know the, the next few verses were the, the miracle of the multiplication of food to feed 5,000. So uh, some of the things I'd like for you to see in this, of course, horrible story, you know, very tragic. But I, I uh, sometimes I think we can relate to these things, maybe not not that horrible, but sometimes it can be. It can be a really tragic thing that's happened in our lives. Um, the uh, Bible says in John 16, and maybe we should turn there, John 16, 33. Sometimes we assume people have seen all these scriptures, you know, we just kind of re- read through them or skip over them or try to quote them, and I think we make a mistake. Uh, John 16, and look at verse 33. It says, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Glory, right? In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And maybe we could read this one in the Amplified. Verse 33 in the Amplified. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. How many of you can identify at least with frustration? But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, and undaunted. For I have overcome the world. If I have deprived it of power to harm you, I have deprived it, of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Wow, what a promise that is. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. So, you know, that's what that's speaking to me is no matter what you're going to go through, even in the future, we have the confidence and assurance that the power of it will not keep us stuck in it Because I think a lot of times people get stuck in tragedy. I've seen pastoring, you know, for 
decades, you see a few things. And I have seen people who've gotten stuck when when Satan has brought things to their lives, uh, death, divorce, financial disaster, horrible situations with their families or their, you know, uh, sickness and disease, etc. But this assurance that Jesus gave us is he's conquered it for us. Amen. We don't have to stay stuck there. And uh, I think that, you know, the Bible says don't be ignorant of his devices talking about uh, the devil. He wants you to stay stuck. He wants us to shut up and sit down and feel sorry for ourselves. He wants you to shut down. He's trying to get, especially if you're in the body of Christ, he doesn't like anybody inside the body of Christ or outside the body of Christ. But he really doesn't want the body of Christ alive and well. He doesn't want that joy to be in our lives, which is our strength. He wants us shut down and depressed and what we would call grief-stricken. Have you ever heard that term? They're stricken with grief. He wants us grief-stricken. Now, Isaiah 53, 4 says that Jesus, you know, uh, talking about the future there, because, of course, that's Old Testament, would bear all of our sorrows and carry our griefs. Isn't that interesting? He already thought, I've got to do that too. <laughs> that's got to be part of the redemption. The work of Christ on, on Calvary was the mental and emotional horribleness that the devil would try to bring and get us shut down. Um, he, Jesus bore it. So, praise the Lord, we can overcome. We can be overcomers. And it says it in that, in that scripture that we just read. Now I just want to uh, give you a definition of grief because sometimes when we think about grief, we just think about death. And that can be a loss in our life. But actually, grief is a sense of loss over anything. It can be something that you have an expectation of. You know, you're expecting something and it doesn't come and you can be grieved over it. Um, you can uh, go through grief with uh, financials, you know, financial situations where you think things are all settled in your life perhaps and then something like a pandemic comes through and uh, takes, you know, all of your savings or shuts your business down or perhaps you lose your job, um, that sort of thing can cause grief, loss in your life, a sense of loss. And then I think about divorce because I've been divorced and uh, there's a lot of grief in divorce. You know, sometimes we don't even think about people who are going through divorce and the grief they're experiencing, the loss, a loss of family life, a loss of um, not being married anymore, right? Even though if you're not getting along or, or there's horrible relationship. You still uh, have, you know, a marriage uh, that you might have just liked the idea of being married, right? And don't want to be single. So there's the uh, grief of the marriage. There's uh, the loss of sometimes of betrayal, you know, a grieving of that. Um, and then also loss of the family unit. You grieve for your children, right? Because you want them to have a mother and daddy, both parents together, etc., so there can be, a, grief can come in a lot of different forms. 
um, e- even with disease, you can grieve the loss of of what you had or what you could do and what you can't do now and that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, you know, as we talk about this, we want we want it to be a little further scope than just a death in the family. Um, but I, I know because we've had death in our family, that's a, a real part of grief. So in, in the world of psychology, which I'm a part of because I'm a counselor, the, Bible, uh, the, the people in psychology talk about uh, the stages of grief, the different stages of grief. And um, so this might speak to some of you, you know, who have had loss, um, some of them. Now, the stages aren't like one, two, three, four, five. These are just things that you can go through as you uh, lose or have loss in your life. First of all, you know, you can go through shock or denial, deny that it's even happening. Um, there's a lot of times pain, very intense pain. There's a lot of guilt sometimes. You caused it somehow. Um, anger is a very real part of grief. And many people get stuck in anger and they stay angry. And the more they talk about the anger and the more they uh, rehearse all that, the angrier they get. And it can be very destructive to them and to the ones around. Because I'll tell you, you hang around an angry man, the Proverbs talks about that. It's not good to hang around an angry person. It really, the Bible kind of encourages us to stay away from angry people. Uh, it can come off on you and destroy you as well. So it's just good to have a little separation time. You know, you don't stop loving somebody that's angry. You love them, but you don't interact with them until they can get better. So you pray for them. Amen? Pray for them. And believe God that they're going to step out, out of that anger. Another stage can be bargaining. And then a horrible stage can be depression. And many people suffer from depression. And then, of course, we can get to a stage of acceptance and hope. And that's where Jesus is, right? <laughs> Thank God for his peace that helps us accept what's happened and the hope for the future and knowing that he's in the future. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Amen. Uh, because he lives, it's going to be okay. And whatever situation we found ourselves in, God can help us and make us this overcomer. And I'm telling you, you know, I, I have had some people in my life that have overcome so much and you see them just doing so well. You, you just, all you just see Jesus all over it, right? You just think God is all over that because Otherwise, they would probably have killed themselves. And some do. You know, we don't want that to happen. But some people get in these stages of grief and in their life. And that's, uh, you know, that's a real problem even right now with what we're going through in the world. But praise God, I want to talk to you tonight about hope. Praise the Lord. In Christ, there's hope. And you can get through this because he lives because Jesus is alive in us. Now, um, 
John 16:33, we read it, a great uh, tribulation. We're going to have tribulation. Let me tell you what that word means, because sometimes King James, you know, we think, oh, well, I don't even know really <laughs> what that means. I remember a story about a man, a friend of ours, that he had just gotten saved and come to the church, and, you know, everything was new, because he was straight out of the world. And he said the the preacher was preaching about fornication. You ought not be fornicators. And even, you know, if you fornicate, you're going to hell and all this stuff. And and this uh, person, friend of ours, said later, he said, I didn't know what a fornicator was. <laughs> he said, I thought it was kind of like a gladiator or something. <laughs> what is a fornicator? And so he asked somebody after the service, he said, what's a fornicator? And they told him, he goes, oh my gosh, I'm a fornicator. <laughs> he was living with somebody, you know, <laughs> he said, I'm a fornicator. <laughs> and so anyway, I, but the point is sometimes we use these terms and we think everybody knows what these things are. And so talking about tribulation, it says here that tribulation can be worry Anxiety. Tribulation can be a burden, something that's burdening you. Tribulation can be just an ordeal, an uh, ad, uh, adversity, issues. It can be tragedy and trauma, but it can also just be difficulty yeah. in your life or a heartache. It can be agony and woe and anguish and certainly grief. So this word tribulation is all, it's pretty inclusive. And in this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But aren't you glad that he prefaced that by saying, I'm peace. (laughs) I am peace. And in me, you can have peace. Thank the Lord. So uh, if, you know, in if we do things the way he says to do them, his peace is right there. It's right there for us. So let's look again at this story that we just read and see, because, you know, John the Baptist and Jesus were relatives. Their mothers were cousins. Elizabeth and Mary, it says, were they were relatives. And uh, it goes back to, you know, their, their, uh, Friendship or uh, relationship went back to before they were born. Mary, when she walked into Elizabeth's home, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb jumped, leaped. Now that's amazing, isn't it? First of all, it says a lot about the unborn babies. And then it shows that uh, John knew Jesus was there, even in their womb. And then we uh, find later that in Matthew chapter 3 that Jesus came to John the Baptist for water baptism. And, of course, John said, you're the one that should be baptized in me. But Jesus was baptized by John. Now, you know, that's a meaningful experience, isn't it? And um, I don't know if you remember who you were baptized in water by, but I do. Uh, it's... Uh, you know, just a wonderful experience there. And then John chapter 1, and we see how uh, closely knit uh, John the Baptist's ministry was to the ministry of Jesus. 
that John was to make the, the way straight, in other words, to prepare the way of the Lord. And um, even was one of the, well, the first one to announce, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So he understood what, who Jesus was. And then uh, in that same chapter, he talks about grace in a beautiful way. Really almost a, a Pauline revelation of grace that John the Baptist had. So you see these two men, one, of course, being God and man, um, were very, very close. And when you get the news that some crazy woman is responsible for not only a horrible murder, but just the way it was done in the presence of so many people, and then to bring his head on this platter to this building, um, you know, it would stir up some feelings, wouldn't it? And um, stir up some, I would think, anger. <laughs> I would think all kinds of emotions. And um, Jesus was... You know, tempted in all points like we are. He never sinned. But, you know, those things, because of his humanity, um, God on the earth, he uh, had to have a lot of feelings. So what did he do? This is my point. And, you know, I learned this years ago, um, when actually 1980, when I was attending Bible school, Brother Hagen taught along these lines, and I cannot tell you how many times I have had to refer to this because I've been through a few things too, yeah. you know. And I'm talking some serious, serious situations um, that seem like in, in your humanity, almost life and death, like I can't take this anymore or I am going to kill myself or, you know, those kind of situations. Um, and I know some of you have too. But I think that uh, this was just so remarkable what Jesus did. And so we'll look at it. It, it says that he, um, let me get back to the, to the scripture here in um, our first text. Mark, actually, let's look at Mark chapter 6 and we'll see here. A couple of more minutes. Are you with me? Alrighty, I think this will set you free if you if you'll act on the word. Hallelujah. Mark chapter six, and um, we'll look at verse fourteen again. And well, you know, we won't go through all that, but we'll look here at the end and see when he was told about his relative John the Baptist and very close friend and the one that probably was more spiritually connected, recognizing the Lamb of God, right? Look at verse 31. And he said unto them, Come yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. So I believe that he knew the severity and the impact of what had just happened, not just on him, but on his group. They went and got John the Baptist's body, his corpse, and buried it. I mean, that had to have been upsetting, right? And if this could happen to John the Baptist, what could happen to me? Over just a woman being disgruntled. 
That's all it was. And so uh, they, there was probably a lot of fear and a lot of uh, mourning and, um, you know, missing this what they perceived as a prophet. Very important prophet. Here they were going uh, and bearing him and then telling Jesus. He said, let's, let's go away to a desert place and rest a while. I think sometimes after a very tragic situation, there's going to be a time where God is going to have you come apart for a minute. <laughs> Just come apart and get the peace of God on you and let the peace of God, maybe even get your group, whoever that is, together and have, have a cry, right? I know, you know, we don't grieve like the world grieves, but there's sorrow and loss in humans and that we're going to feel that. And, you know, you actually need to feel so that you don't suppress all that and then it comes out later in crazy ways. So it's good to, to let that, you know, be, let there be a time of weeping. Let there be a time of, of mourning. I, I, I know I took a, a, a class on death and dying one time in my psychological degree pursuit. And um, they said that we really don't give people enough time to grieve because they only get three days off work and then you're back at it. And if you just lost your mother or your father or your sibling, it doesn't happen in three days usually where you're just, okay, back to work. And uh, families used to, they didn't have a, a hospital and a funeral home where they just whisk the body to the, from the hospital to the uh, funeral home uh, and then just out of sight and then, you know, you go to the funeral and then you're done. Nowadays, you know, there's a lot of cremation. You don't even ever see the body. But, you you know, way back, the, the family took care of the body and the family washed the body and the body was in their home. I know that sounds creepy to a lot of people. But it gave them an opportunity to transition from they were alive and now they've passed. And and they would fix their hair. And if they were a woman, they would put makeup on them. They would dress them. They would, you know, spend time understanding what's happened. And it would give them a chance to process it. Because death is not normal to us. It really shouldn't be and it wouldn't have been. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, right? We wouldn't have ever died. So it's not normal, and it's the last thing to be put put underfoot. Praise God, and uh, it will be. And so, uh, but you know, this this uh, idea of just getting over things really quickly, I don't think it's I don't think it's a great idea. And then the other hand is, it's not a great idea to hang on to this and hang on and hang on. And grieve and grieve and grieve because it'll kill you. And we all know people who've lost a spouse and then six months later they're dead and they weren't even sick. Right? So it, it, it can do great damage if you don't receive the Lord's help in all this and let Him carry the heavy burden, which He's already really carried, of grief and sorrow. Is this making any sense? Um, and again, I'm talking a lot about death here, but this grief can be any kind of loss in your life. So what did he do here? He let them rest. I remember after going through a horrible, horrible divorce, not that any of them's ever any good because they're just, divorce is horrible, but sometimes necessary. And um, the Lord told me, he said, 
I want you to lay down in green pastures. And the, the scripture actually says in Psalm 23, I will make you lay down. <laughs> I'm going to make you lay down in green pastures. And I didn't want to stop what I was doing. I didn't, I, you know, I wanted to keep the momentum and all this stuff and everything going. And I mean, he's, he just cut it off. He said, nope, you are going to lay down in green pastures. In other words, you go to a desert place and rest a while. Amen. Now, I don't know how long that should be. I don't know. The Lord knows. He knows how long that rest should be. Here, it doesn't sound like it was a long time because the people found them. (laughs) They found them. And look what Jesus said in verse 34. Jesus, when he came out and saw much people, he told them all to go home. Everybody had been through enough. My cousin's head's been cut off. We're done. We're calling it quits. (laughs) Some of us might have done that. But he didn't. He was moved with compassion toward them. There's a point in time where you have to get out of yourself and start caring about people. Doing something for someone else. Amen? And And in that, there's a great deal of healing. And we see people, even in the world, maybe not even great Christians, but some people in the world, uh, think about Paul Newman lost a son and then he started a, a program where he could, you know, make salad dressing and all these things and it goes to these charities and he did that kind of in, re, you know, remembrance of it in memory of his son. And so, you know, you can make a, 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 a real healing in your life by doing the principle of, of Jesus. Caring about others, doing something for someone else, putting aside all the mess that's gone on in your life, and because it can cause a lot of selfishness and a lot of self-pity. I know I've experienced all this, uh, and so if you get stuck there, it's going to kill you. It's going to shut you down. This is what the devil wants to sit on your shoulder and tell you how bad everything is, you know, gone and. If God really loved you, none of this would ever happened. And where was God when you needed Him? And you, you know, you should quit and not even serve Him anymore. I mean, just so many lies. When Jesus told us all along, you live in this world, you will have tribulation. <laughs> I don't even know why we're shocked when we go through it. But He said it. The good thing is, be of good cheer. Amen? Be of good cheer. There's light on the other side. And we're going to go right through it and, and, and have compassion on other people, right? Have compassion on others. And it said that he preached and he taught and he taught many things to them. So long he taught to them, just way out beyond even the ordinary that, uh, they didn't even have anything to eat. It was too late for them to go to their villages and all that. So then he worked a miracle. Amen. He got right back into life and what he was supposed to be doing on the earth. He did not let that horrible incident stop him at all. Amen. He did not let it, it rule his life or the people that uh, served with him. And uh, I believe that's just key in in uh, not only receiving healing and help for yourself, 
but sharing what God can do <laughs> and the gospel, the good news. So what are we supposed to be doing? Well, we see in Mark chapter 16, the Bible says um, that uh, we're to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel to the whole world. We are to cast out the devil. Amen. We ought to love taking taking revenge on the devil after he does something. How do we do that? By being as good as God is. Amen. We're just walking in the goodness of God, loving people, helping people, going out of our way to tell them about the healing power of God, about the saving power of God, about uh, uh, speaking in other tongues. Amen. About the Holy Ghost. To tell them how the grace of God is there for you to do anything you need to do. Isn't that marvelous? And we, and so we're to stand up and don't let the devil shut you down with things that are happening or have happened in your life. Sometimes he'll lie to you and he'll say, because you went through that, you'll never be effective. People will never believe you. You know, they'll never, I remember before my two divorces, two divorces, I was preaching on the family. I was pre, I have tape series after tape series on love and marriage and how to uh, raise children properly. And just, you know, that was my, one of my biggest topics. And I thought, well, after two divorces, who would listen to any of that, you know? And, and so the devil will lie to you and try to shut you down in those things. And I think I'm probably more equipped now to talk on marriage than I ever was. <laughs> Amen. But he doesn't want you to think that. And people will join in with him too and say, you know, you shouldn't even be in the pulpit if you've been divorced twice, right? But, but God, hallelujah. But God is so good to give me a wonderful husband and mate <laughs> and uh, the joy hallelujah and so I, I wanted to uh, encourage you in that too don't think that because you've been through something that people don't want to listen many times people listen more to people who've been through a couple of things than somebody who hadn't been through anything you know? i want the experienced ones right the ones to yeah to tell me how to make it and how to continue to be a light to a dark world. And so, praise the Lord. Did you get anything out of that tonight? I tell you, you ought to just keep walking forward. Amen? Keep on with Jesus. And He will lead you to uh, wonderful places and a, a bright, bright future. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank You for tonight. We thank You for Your encouragement and Your Word. And we see how Jesus, after such a tragic thing in his family, that he continued uh, to minister and to love others and to do miracles. And so we thank you, Father, that as he is, so are we in this world. And that we can do mighty things through Christ who strengthens us. And today I pray for my brothers and sisters, those watching on live stream. I thank you, Lord, you'll give them words to, to make them free, to, to uh, quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and whatever he has lied or, or even if there's been bondage and captivity, um, I break that bondage and I, I command freedom in their life to uh, 
be joyful and to be glad and to walk forward in the strength and the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Lord. You are the restorer, our restorer. And you restore us so much better than we even were before the tragedy, before the disaster. You can do it and you will do it. And I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.